This is kind of where I, I lend myself to the belief that maybe football plays itself to uh, mental health issues. Um, when you're healthy and everything's good, uh, especially when you're a starter, uh, everyday player, um, coaches give you the attention, the love, uh, everything like that. As soon as you're injured and it's to no fault of their own, um, you're kind of out the wayside. This is Brent McCracken, receiver, Wilfrid Laurier University, number 17, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today, me and Dakota are continuing our journey speaking with student-athletes, past, present, current, all the above on their experiences with mental health around their sport. Today, joining us, we have Brendan McCracken, receiver from the Laurier Golden Hawks. Uh, Brendan, man, how are you doing? Good, man. Hanging in there. How about yourself? I guess you could probably say the same thing for both of us. Um, you know, <laughs> Brennan, last time, I hate to get into the, well, this is obviously a serious matter that we're talking about on this podcast, so we might as well get there from the jump. Last time that we got to see you on a football field, if I'm correct, it was the when you were playing York, week two, the last time we had football uh, in OUA, 2019, and of course, it ended with you getting carted off in that horrific injury. Um, can you just bring everyone up to speed on sort of what your life has sort of been like from that moment? That was your last year. You know, the, the, you had the regional combine and, and and everything going on. I can only begin to imagine what that has been like for you. Can we just start there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was quite a journey. Um, it was uh, a complete ACL tear, um, with, you know, all the added bonuses of like the MCL and the LCL, uh, the meniscus, uh, and then I actually dislocated my tibia out completely. Um, so there was a lot going on there. So just for that day right there, that, that sucked just enough. That was enough pain for it. Um, but it was about a 12 month recovery until, you know, I was fully back to normal. It felt like I still feel it every day. Um, and it was, it was a pretty big experience, obviously, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been at the same time, something I'm really excited about because I was able to, you know, fight through that and see it to the other side. So, uh, as of today, feeling good, hundred percent healthy and, uh, you know, fully recovered. So thanks. <laughs> well, no, I'd love to hear that. Cause especially since we were talking a little bit beforehand, your, your current sort of life plan is you going to firefighting so good to hear that you're in full shape because no doubt you got to be able to have a functioning knee to be able to do all the incredible things uh that you need to do in in that in that world um in terms of how that affected you mentally because that's obviously the, the the what we're dealing with here you know we, we've talked with a few players and how injuries and in this case um an injury to kind of take your to end your career on um what type of resources or how, how did you manage to get through that? Cause, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I have to imagine that that must take a toll, not just on your body as you outlined there, just in terms of the actual physical damage, but just in the realization that uh, football might be done. Mm. And what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, so it was a little different and this is kind of where I, I lend myself to the belief that maybe football plays itself to uh, 
mental health issues. Um, when you're healthy and everything's good, uh, especially when you're a starter, uh, everyday player, um, coaches give you the attention, the love, uh, everything like that. As soon as you're injured and it's to no fault of their own, um, you're kind of out the wayside because now you're not contributing to the team. Um, so you've got to kind of be put on the back burner. So for me, the biggest obstacle at first was coming to the realization that I'm no longer a big portion of this team. Uh, I felt like I was one of those cool guys that did the photo shoots and um, all that. Uh, but unfortunately, then you go to this other side where you can't even really get the time of day from your coaching staff. And again, it's not to any fault of their own. It's just kind of the way it's got to go with football. So mentally, that's a huge taxing on you. Um, and then obviously throughout the process, you get further and further distant uh, from those coaches, from other players to a point where you just feel like you're another guy. Um, so mentally going through that uh, was probably the hardest part. Uh, it wasn't the, you know, football's being taken away from me. It was actually kind of that social construct um, that now I don't have as many, you know, people to look up to, people that look up to me. So that was huge and that was so difficult for me to get over even now. Um, so yeah, that was probably the biggest hurdle for that injury. You know, we did a series of interviews dating around fall of 2020, kind of talking about life after football with a number of players. And a lot of the conversation that came up in that was about the the, the sort of the change in identity when you are no longer a football player and you kind of have lived such a large portion of your life with just this easy response to give to people like, oh, or when people are just, oh, it's Brendan, yeah, he's the football guy. Okay, cool. It's just, it's simple. It's, yeah. you don't have to answer too many questions. And so as you kind of mentioned, losing football maybe wasn't the toughest part, but was that identity piece, did that play a bigger role in it? Or how did, how did you reconcile with that component? Of yeah, it? like you said, a big part of my identity was actually identifying as a football player. So then after that injury, one, you don't want to let football go. You're kind of holding on to it. Um, you want for things to happen that you know in the back of your head aren't going to happen. Um, so it's hard to let that identity uh, like leave because I was a huge proponent of, you know, like getting in the weight room, being really into like a tough mental grinder, kind of a grimy uh, player. That's kind of my style. And in the real world, there's not really a place for that. You know, you can't be a grimy, greasy insurance guy. Um, so losing that portion of it too, the actual outlook that I had um, on life and like reaching my goals had to drastically make a 180. Um, so it's huge. Uh, definitely. And, and my question just to follow up on that is when exactly, if it has, did it kind of sink in that? okay, time to move on to, as you were saying, becoming a firefighter. Like when did it kind of click in the back of your head? That's like, this this is done. And then what the follow-up to that would be like, what was that like? So because for me, and I don't can't speak for Zach, but it was like, oh shit, like, yeah, I'm never, because like for other sports like hockey and baseball and stuff, you can always kind of pick it up and play with your friends. But football is like, you're never going to put the pads on again unless you're like playing with your kid for fun. But like, when did that kind of click? And then what was that like? Yeah. Um, so I guess it's still in the process of clicking. <laughs> um, it's a, for all of us, for yeah, all of us. I, I don't think it will ever be a time where I don't identify as that football guy. I think, um, throughout time, I've just become accustomed to not practicing, not hitting, not being as aggressive. 
Um, and actually my goals have now kind of tailored around that. Uh, whereas now my goal isn't for 150 receiving yards in a game. It's for, you know, um, saving $1,500 a month so I can buy a nice house in a few years. Um, so you still have that goal orientation, but it's vastly different. Um, so that part hasn't necessarily changed. It's just shifted. And then as far as it clicking that I'm not going to play football again. Yeah. I don't, I still don't think it's clicked. <laughs> and and yeah, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to, to burst the bubble and make it click for you. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, no. I still have, I still have I my helmets. Yeah. <laughs> I still have my helmets somewhere in my, in my, uh, my closet, just in case I somehow get called up to something. Um, <laughs> but obviously football in, I mean, for any really contact sport, uh, but since it's this football, we'll talk football. It can just end, and unfortunately, in your case, at, at any split second. Um, mm-hmm. And not to, to throw anyone under the bus or drag any programs. Like, what do you think that like schools or programs, whether it's university, pros, high school, whatever, can kind of do to mentally prepare or even just organize, prepare kids for that fact that you know football will end, and then you kind of have to build your own schedule. Because I mean, when you were playing at Laurier, I'm sure you like, I have to do lifts here, I have class here, I have to eat here, I have to do this here, and then it kind of stops, and you're like. I'm sure I have to do something, but there's not really anything that I know that I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. This is a a part of the football world, the Canadian football landscape uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. And I know we can do a lot better is actually preparing athletes for not playing football. Uh, The moral of the story is everybody stops playing football. The vast majority it's when you're 15, 16, for us, few privileged guys that got to play into our 20s, uh, that's huge, but it's going to stop. And the guys that play into their 30s, it's going to stop. Um, as you get older, you start to learn different methods of how you work. But when you're in your early 20s, if it just gets taken away from you like that, you're all of a sudden just shit out of luck, for lack of a better term. Um, coaches don't really... That's the right coach. term. That's the right term. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coaches don't you know, necessarily tailor for after football because they don't frankly really care and rightfully so that's not their job. Their job is to get you ready for Saturdays for the football game. And if they can make a good man out of you, sure. But that's not their end goal. Their end goal is winning games and it should be as a coach. Right. But there are resources that should be and could be available for from universities that are just not preached about, not accessed enough. And as football players, you're taught to be tough guys. So who's going to reach out for help when you're a tough guy? Um, so there's a there's a mental barrier there. There's a mental block. And there's also a lot that coaches could do that they're simply not doing. Uh, and sure, it'd be nice to hold them accountable for that. But that's not their job. There should be a position on every football team that's in charge of progressing their men through into life. And unfortunately for some teams like Laurier, we just didn't have the budget for it. So now you're going to see some guys suffer. Um, and that's unfortunate. No, I, I, I definitely agree. And I, on episodes that haven't necessarily come out yet, we kind of spoke about where it's like, yeah, there is stuff that can be done. And, and I, as much as I like to talk shit about players and coaches just for fun, but like, I would never, I, I don't think it is the head coach's job or even the kind of the coach's job. They have so much on the plate. You, you look at head coaches and, you know, 10% of their job is like, administration stuff and they end up spending 90% of their time doing that and I I think a lot of the burden kind of falls on the school and the program as a whole to bring in these professionals that you know that's their focus or bring in I mean I don't know how Laurie is but at Western they had 
like grad students who were working on their physiotherapy stuff that would come in and, you know, do the taping or kinesiology kids would do the taping. Like they have the resources in the school to bring in, you know, counselors. And I think it's, it's on the school and at least the athletic department to kind of bring that in less so than it is on head coaches or other coaches to step out of their role and do something extra, even though out of the goodness of their heart, I'm sure they want to they're they, they can't necessarily do that. Yeah. And that's a, that's an excellent point. Um, totally agree with you. Cause there's, you know, I have nothing but fantastic things to say about Michael Folds. I guess still coach Folds. I can't really call him Michael Folds. Uh, I felt weird even as it came out. Uh, nothing but great things to say about coach Folds. So it's not like I'm sitting here preaching that he needs to do more. If anything, I think he needs to do less. There is other resources, uh, other departments, other administration teams that are just, it feels like turning a blind eye. So we kind of addressed a bit of from the the standpoint of kind of organizationally that as Dakota highlighted and as you mentioned the coach the coaches and the head coaches in particular are are so overburdened to begin with and frankly as as you mentioned their job is to to win games and you know if if you mold some young men along the way then all the better but in the culture of football itself do you think that some of these issues take root out of that culture itself and it seems like that's the conversation and that has changed a little bit and frankly as I just say the words culture of football it's very ambiguous what does that really mean but I feel like we all kind of have an idea of what that culture is you already sort of said it already about you know very obviously to state state the obvious tough sport takes a tough person to play the tough sport all that kind of stuff is there anything in the kind of underlying essence of football that perhaps could still be changed for the better that creates these issues or leads to these issues? Yeah, I think a lot of it um, would go to almost coaching techniques. I think coaching techniques are um, a big problem, I guess, for lack of a lack of a better term. Um, I find that a lot of coaches, they want to push their players. Of course you want to push them to their limits uh, a lot of coaches want to push beyond their players' limits, which for, so for example, we had a Godfrey on Yaka on our team. And Godfrey, I'm not sure if you know Godfrey, you can Heard say whatever you want to Godfrey, and he does not care. <laughs> like, you can tell him he's the worst football player ever, and he's got to improve or he's cut. He's just like, okay. <laughs> so those types of guys, yeah, push to the, their limits, because they're emotionally, I, I, he maybe doesn't have that range, I'm not sure. Um, and then there's other players, like we had a Brandon Calvert, who's almost a polar opposite. You tell him to go run through a brick wall, he's running through that brick wall. It doesn't matter. He just wants to show you that he can do what you want him to do. So there's two like extremes there. So those two are guys that you can coach and they're very pliable because they just, their emotional range is such that they'll just accept what you're saying and move forward. But there is a vast majority of players um, that when you push them hard enough, they're going to push back. Um, and they're going to kind of one question their love for football, uh, which is a sport they loved in the first place. So you never want that obviously. And two, they're going to question whether they're good enough. Um, if you keep pushing them like that. And if you question whether you're good enough for football, naturally you're going to lend yourself over to, am I good enough for school and then school finances and then finances your life. And then all of a sudden you're just like, am I good enough for this life? Like, is this the life for me? 
And obviously, once you get to that place, that's a very dark place. You don't want anyone to go. Uh, so fundamentally, from a coaching standpoint, culturally within football, you're taught to push these players as hard as possible to get them to reach new heights. But that in itself is a very dangerous concept that I think a lot of coaches take for granted. You know, I I, I think that's a, that's a brilliant point. And, you know, within all that, you mentioned the things that it makes you question. And at no point, though, in all that, are you allowed to question the coach, though? And, uh, you know, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, you know, I won't dive down that road necessarily. Um, but I guess part of the question in all that, though, is that does it have to be that way? Because we were speaking with someone and I guess by the time this interview is coming out, that one have already aired. But they kind of made a, an analogy with with the buds training that like Navy SEALs do where that's specifically laid out where it's we are where the hope is that they're going to break, you know, and break physically, psychologically, mentally, the vast majority of these people. And if you make it, we're, they're literally looking for the 1% of the 1% of people that can make it through that and still be on their feet. And mm -hmm. obviously, at probably any level of football, any program, you're always going to hear sort of military analogies into the sport. And once again, for good and for bad reasons. But the question is, to me, is, well, does it have to be like that? You know, do we, does the sport need to be structured in a way where, as you said, it's pushing players and like you said there's people on other both sides of the spectrum where they can be very receptive to it but a lot of young men where that can be very detrimental is there something about football that lends itself to that innately in the game or is it just a matter of well it's the way it's been done and it's you know worked and we're just going to keep doing it until well until who knows yeah well, what you said there actually is, is you know, you can kind of relate it to any cultural wrongdoing is we're going to do it until we're told that we shouldn't do this. Um, that's been the same with homophobia, racism, sexism. And as we look back, hindsight being 2020, we're like, what were we thinking? What were our ancestors thinking like that? That it's just the way it's done. So it's got to work. Uh, that's a very backward way of thinking. And of course, that's the way that they think right now. Um, and of course, you know, I can sit here, we can all sit here day and night and say that we need to change this system, but until something's put into place, some structures put into place to actually regulate, uh, what can and can be said, can, can be done with these football teams, much like clubs are doing now, they have regulations, they have, there's no set guideline. Um, and for better and for worse, you'll have a coach that you absolutely love who's completely relatable. And then you'll have a coach that you completely hate and for whatever reason, uh, but there's never any type of conformity to a set of rules that could be interesting to look at. I'm not saying that that's the answer, but that could be interesting. No, and you, you raise a really interesting point and all that. And it's tough too, because, you know, on, on sort of a separate a separate theme but tangentially related you know a lot of the morals that we hope players take away from football or the sort of lessons that you hope carry with you through your career you know making sure you take care of your school make sure you're in the weight room you're taking care of your body you don't take care of your body body doesn't take care of you a lot of coaches at a very young age are going to say these same things say these same lessons and a lot of the time they just go through one ear and out the other. And obviously what we're talking about here is maybe slightly different from those themes. But, you know, it's not as if and and those at some time were probably things where they were 
ideas that weren't addressed. And then as you mentioned, you look back and you say, it's crazy to think there was a time when coaches weren't having these conversations with players and, and now they do. But with some of those things, they, they get spoken about, but they don't always come into effect because you think, well, yeah, I get all that, but I'll, I'll be fine. So there's, unfortunately, it seems like there's a whole other component to it where it's getting the message out or regulating in some way, but then actually getting the message to stick, you know, because, and I think a lot of that probably comes from not only do the the coaches and, and whomever rely on what's been done before, but as players, we grow up and we take after those who we idolize and we watch the game the way it's played and we think, well, that's how it works. So that's, that's what's going to happen. So I, I'm not really obviously formulating a specific question in saying all that, but it just seems like another component of this that makes it such a hill to climb is that, you know, coaches have always tried to teach lessons similar, if not, but different to that. And then so many times, and I've been one of those players where it's like, yeah, 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 I hear you, but like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sorry, sorry to, to jump in here. And I think we talk about coaches and programs as, as much as we possibly can. I think a big burden also falls on the, the sports media and the the fans themselves because just thinking about it i don't know how much you're on twitter it's an evil evil place to be uh especially on any given sunday but just i mean we talked about skip bayless on on the episode that came out today and just the fans like a coach can be like hey i really care about you but then if you're at a a professional level and you kind of suck and you go online you see everyone just absolutely trashing you Mm -hmm. people people threaten people's i mean i i i'm like oh i wish this guy didn't suck so much Mm -hmm. sometimes but people threaten people's families lives over this sport and then expect them to just put on the helmet and like go and play and i think we can we can we definitely need to fix something about the programs in canada and and across the world but there's also it's a whole culture thing outside of just the football it's a societal thing where we don't a lot of people just don't really care about how someone's actually doing until it affects someone they love. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it right on the head. Um, there was, who was that Packers DB King? Um, King. Yeah. Kevin King. Got, yeah. He got, he got it this weekend. Like he got it. Um, his family got it. Like apparently like that's, that's a problem with media as you're saying as well is it, provides so much transparency that it almost makes you opaque in a way where like you now can say all these things to people that you have this open forum that now all of a sudden you can hide hide behind the masses and just be one of the people shouting out like oh you suck and then like hide back into the bushes yeah um so it's a sad world it's a sad world well it certainly is to say the least, and I don't expect between the three of us we'll come up with any solutions in no. uh, in this podcast uh, to any of the world's ailments. But I will I'll pose this to you, given the nature of how your football career came to an end, given some of the lessons that that you learned in your experience dealing with how your career at Laurier came to an end. For for anyone listening to this, current player or, or young kid getting into the football game, what is what is if you could just communicate one message to that person, that man, woman, child, whomever, of something that you took away from your experience that could help them? What would what would that be? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. I think ultimately throughout my football career, at least when I was younger to the end of high school to even getting into my younger years in university, I took it so serious. Um, 
much to my benefit, I took it so serious that I was able to pursue a career in uh, university sport. Not a lot of people can say that, but I took it so serious uh, that I actually kind of drove myself a little crazy. Uh, I took it way too serious where it was everything. And if I had a bad practice, I had a bad day. Uh, if I had a good practice, then I could have a good day. We'll see. Um, but ultimately, uh, and in my third year, I just took away, you got to have fun. Like, ultimately, this is a kid's game that we're playing. I got to pay off some of my student debt by playing this game, uh, catching a ball. Like, what are the chances? Just have fun with it, right? And, um, you know, I had that knee injury. Um, went to the back, popped my leg back into place. It was gross. Uh, but then they were like, we got to get you to the hospital. And I was like, I'm not fucking leaving. And they were just like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm going back on the sidelines. I'm going to be there. And there's a picture of me on crutches at the end of the game. I'm on the sideline. And it's because I was having so much fun. Uh, something bad happened, happens all the time. Uh, ultimately, I was having fun. So the biggest takeaway I can have is you're going to go through things that you don't like. You're going to go through things that you do like. If you put a smile on your face and you tell yourself that, you know, just have fun, just enjoy the moment, just be here now. Um, that was huge for me and my mental health throughout the injury was just, you know, this is where I am right now. I'm going to have fun whatever way I can. I think that's a, a perfect message to wrap this up on because at the end of the day, why do we get into sports? Why do we start playing it? For the most part, it's because you, know, you played it when you were a kid and it just with your friends in the backyard or whatever. And it was yeah. the most fun you ever had. And as you mentioned, if some of us, those of us who are lucky enough to continue playing it into university or even just through high school, whatever, uh, we are definitely the lucky ones just to be able to do what we love. But as you mentioned, don't forget why you love it because um, mm. it, it is fun. And that's that's what it's all about. Uh, yeah. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us, sharing the insights into your story at Laurier. Um, all the best, man. Um, and anytime you want to come on the show, talk about whatever, uh, you always have a spot with, uh, with all us. All right, here. sounds good. Thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. And uh, keep up the good work. Let's hope to uh, get Canadian football the recognition it deserves. You guys are on the right path. Appreciate you saying that, man. Take care, eh? Yeah, bye now. Bye.